Hi, welcome to the fifth episode of the Evolver Mindset Podcast. I'm Andy and I'm joined here today by Phil Noon and our featured guest, Jimmy Ball. Jimmy Ball is an established football coach at Stoke City following a stint in America coaching. Jimmy has been a professional footballer in the past and is in fact the son of England World Cup winner, Alan Ball. Hi, Jimmy, you okay? I'm well, thanks, fellas. Yeah, very good. You okay, Phil? Yeah, good. Great to catch up with Jimmy. Oh, bro. So I think we, uh, we, we're keen to have Jimmy uh, on the podcast today. Um, you know, we've seen recently that he's uh, been an advocate for the 25 push-up challenge uh, on Facebook that I've seen going around. And uh, I know I personally want to thank Jimmy for, for um, asking Phil to do it. Seeing Phil <laughs> trying to do 25 push-ups was quite, uh, was quite funny. Um, so come on. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was more to, to, to get Jimmy on to see his perspective on, on life and to talk about his uh, experiences in the past as a professional footballer. Uh, so, Jimmy, obviously you've seen you doing the, the, the challenge. Um, you know, where, where did you see that? Was there someone that, that introduced you to that himself? Yeah, well, it was, it was just a, a, a good friend of mine, fellow I used to play with at Southampton called Dave Hughes. He, um, um, he, he rang me up beforehand. I wasn't that nice to feel. I just, I just did it <laughs> and uh, put him on the spot. <laughs> He rang me beforehand and said, look, I'm doing this and, and the reasons I'm doing it. And I said, you know, a million percent, absolutely love to. Um, to be fair, I, f- I found it quite good. The you know, first four or five were, uh, were, were a test, test, but then all of, all of a sudden you felt stronger, you felt better. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it was a good challenge. And, and, and like I say, even if it just affects one person, raises enough awareness for one person to, to, to reach out or to speak. It was, it was more than worth it and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, it was, to, it was to raise awareness for anxiety, depression and PTSD. Yeah. It was, yeah. So I've seen a, a few people and then Phil, you were able to do it as well, weren't you? Barely, but yeah, I gave it a go. <laughs> <laughs> do you still do them today, Jim? Do the press-ups? Yeah, do you do them every day? Have you carried it on? Yeah, well, you know, you've got to stay a little bit fit if I'm going to be running around with the players when I get back, when we all get back in. So um, I, I still do a, a bit most days, yeah. Just a bit of core stuff and a bit of uh, a bit of upper body, and that's about it. I, uh, I've stopped running. My knees are sore now and, and things like that, but and my back gets quite sore when I run. But, um, yeah, I still do a little bit. It just keeps you, keeps you healthy, and you, you do feel better after it, even though you dread it sometimes. I struggle myself now, Jim, later on in, in, in life. Uh, especially, you know, I've got a bad back at the moment. Um, but I'm sure it's due to picking the ball out the net so many times over the years, unfortunately. Definitely for you, mate. <laughs> Definitely. Brilliant. So, what, so where, what, obviously, uh, you two played together at Exeter. Where, where else have you played, Jimmy? Um, I, I was at Exeter with, with Nooney, as we say, and, and um, I spent a, a really short time at Southampton Football Club. So... Um, I don't want to sit here and, and sort of sort of say that I was a professional and had a, and I had a career, great career. It, um, I, I tried hard. Um, I, I was a, a sort of worker. Um, I had a role in, in in football, which was run around and you know kick people, try and win the ball back and pass it to to someone better because that was everybody else, even Nuni, I could say. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, that 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 was uh, that was about the, the the most of it. But listen, wonderful times. Um, I would say that I, I, I understood football well. I, I would say that I, um, I I saw the game, if if you know what I mean. I, I understood the angles and the movement and the the intricacies of football. 
um, I just didn't really have the feet to take me where I needed to go. But it wasn't through lack of trying and it wasn't through lack of understanding and knowledge. I thought I was a quite, a, quite a, a clever footballer, but just didn't have the, the top level ability to see it through. That role that you did play, Jim, trust me, you, you were very, very effective at it. Uh, really effective. I, 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 listen, I, I know I was, but I think it, it, it sort of suited me to, to, to play that role and, and, and destroy, um, uh, you know, in games of football because I think that's easier to do than create. Um, uh, and, yeah, I was very fit. I was very aggressive and, you know, I think that that was a lot to do with the fact that, you know, looking back on it now, I was, I was, um, I was frightened to death when I was playing football, if I'm being really, really honest. Um, so I think that, that that's where the aggression came to sort of be that type of footballer. So when you're talking there that you're frightened to death, Jamie, I know me and, me and Phil have spoken in the past uh, about around certain things when Phil was playing as a prof- uh, professional footballer. What what kind of things were you were you frightened of? Was it pressure or...? Yeah, I, I think mine was quite different and, and it's only been over the last few years that I've really sort of been able to to sort of put it put it right in my head what, what it was. Um, at the time, I had no idea of what it was, but it was definitely fear. It was fear of, you know, my, my, my last name. Um, and I think I put a, a really brave face on. I don't think the lads I played with ever knew how, how, how sort of much pressure I felt and how much responsibility, I think is a better word, that I felt carrying that name. Um, how every single time I played and my name was on the team sheet, every single person watching was saying, flipping heck, he's nowhere near as good as his dad and a lot more um, than this lad who ran around and, like I say, kicked people and passed it simple. So, you know, without knowing it, I was, I was, I was petrified. I was, I was frightened to death. And I think that that's where the aggression came out in, in how I played. So... Um, but, it, but it's only now. At the time, I, I really don't think I knew what it was. Um, but it was definitely sort of pressure, anxiety. Um, so, yeah. And I definitely think it hindered me. Uh, and I wasn't able to sort of compartmentalise it. I wasn't, I wasn't able to put it away. Um, I, I, and I'll be honest, I don't think I got much help with it. And so, yeah, I, I was, I was pretty, pretty nervous, pretty scared. Uh, every time I walked out into the pitch for those for those reasons. I know me and Phil have spoke as well. Phil, you've, you've talked about pressure, I suppose, in a different way uh, as playing a, a football. And I suppose it can, it can affect people uh, no matter, you know, young, young players, no matter where, where they're playing. Yeah, in, in a different way, Andrew. Obviously, Jimmy, you always, you know, that pressure there must have been, you know, everyone comparing them to his dad must have, you know, must have been really difficult. Um, and hindsight's a great thing, and it's funny you saying that he's only experienced it in the last couple of years. But I have, when I've sort of reflected back on my life, I've actually realised that I played, you know, at, you know, decent levels within football, and I was I was petrified. I used the exact same word as what Jimmy did, um, but I think mine, as I've looked back on, on my life, I realised with really bad low self esteem. I never thought that I would, I'd be good enough to succeed, and I was lucky, and I just caught at the right break at the right time and someone's going to find me out one day that I'm not good enough and all of this self-negative talk I think hindered me actually progressing further 
I think I had a bit of ability. I didn't think I was, I was the best in the world, far from it. But that real sort of low worth or low self-esteem, um, I think I manifested it in a different way where everyone saw me and would think I was on top of the world. But actually, it was just all an act. Because inside, I was probably a terrified young little young man, um, fearful of what people are going to think. I'm a good enough criticism. I, I, I responded terribly to criticism. Um, and if I made a mistake in a game, it, it could impact me for about a week, where even up until the next game, where I just couldn't get it out of my mind. And I'm just curious. That was a long time ago. And I'm just curious, Jim, I know you're still in the football world now, yeah. whether that support for young players who maybe is feeling the same way, uh, that low self-esteem, that anxiety. I think I I played petrified playing. Whether yeah. that support into them we played. Well, first thing I'll say is that is that um, n- now you you explaining that you saying what you've just said to me, I, I can I can completely see it in the way you were. You, you know, you came into Exeter, you were absolute breath of fresh air, and you you um, you look you looked like you were full of confidence. You backed yourself. You know, your chest was out. Um, and like like you said, with me, you do yourself a disservice. You, you shot stopping. I, I don't think I've I've come apart from Bruce Grobler. I don't think I've come across anyone who who would make unbelievable saves, uh, saves that you never you know you'd never think he'd save. You know, shot stopping wise. And yeah, you had that persona of 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 absolute confidence without a doubt. But now looking back on it, when you did make a mistake, it was such a big you know you made you made something of it um and i did too if you remember i used to i used to scream out loud whenever i gave the ball away purely because that's what had been drummed into me all my life you know don't give the ball away your dad never gave the ball away you you know what i mean that kind of stuff so when i when i gave the ball away i'd 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 sort of almost make it bigger than it actually actually was and, and we had a a guy come in at Exeter called Jock Wallace, ex-manager, friend, friend of friend of the Gaffers, and um, he was the one who told me not to react and not to not to sort of show it. It, it's, it is a mistake, and don't be afraid of, of mistakes and stuff. And, and that really helped me for about six months to the point where you know the Gaffer said that that I was close, close to his team. Um, but then, but then I sort of went back into my comfort zone, which was, you know. I'm not good enough and, and, I'll, and I'll make the, you know, I'll sort of highlight these mistakes because that, that's who I am. Uh, and, I, and just going on to your question about nowadays, I think with, I don't think that there was the training for the coaches. Um, and I think nowadays we're far more switched onto it and far more cute around the signs of some of the things that you were saying. Um, I, I think a lot of the coaching courses now, especially the Advanced Youth Coaching Award, has a whole block on uh, you know the, the 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 mental side of the game, um, you know the social side of the game, where what p- players are portraying, you know the different characteristics. And I think coaches are a lot more in tune to it now and pick up on those things. And maybe your um, you, you know, your the way you held handled it would have been highlighted now, and people would have worked with you. Um, I do think it's a lot, a lot um, better on that side, on the mental health side, and and uh, the personality side, and and of the game for these young players. I know that 
you know, the, the football clubs all have psychologists, but also there's, a, there's an element of psychology, um, sports psychology in nearly all of the coaching licensing now, um, which, is, which is fantastic and, mm -hmm. and very, very helpful because the players like me and you, shall we say, who had sort of a glimpse at a career, but never really that we maybe had, maybe it was the, the 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 mental side of things that stopped us maybe i don't know i don't think it personally it was um i i never thought my feet were quite good enough so i was always stretching but maybe for someone like yourself the mental side and more help and more support and just understanding what it was might have made the difference between a career or not a career which is which is incredible yeah absolutely i don't know whether it, i would have had a, you know a big career but maybe this is my inner critic straight away kicking in um but i still i definitely think it definitely hindered um me prospects at it um so in other words what i was saying is i think i was a barrier to myself um and self-esteem as a, as a, within sport you know people experience that in day-to-day -day living they don't feel as if they're good enough to be with a partner they don't feel as if they're good enough to do a lot of things in life you know for fatherhood or and all that sort of stuff so i think it can come into a lot of things but i think it is it's really important to have an awareness of it now and i just wish i would have had it many years ago so it's glad to hear that in sport that things are moving forward but i think it's important that it happens in communities as well and people to get this awareness yeah i think it's um it's just giving, allowing them to, to, to sort of talk, allowing them to, to say how they're feeling, which is, is you know, something that's, that's better now. It's still not perfect, um, but it's a, it's, it's, extreme, it's a lot of years ago when we were young players, for sure, um, not only in sport, but in, in the community as well. And obviously things like you're doing to, you know, to help. Um, and, and, and the name Evolving Mindset, I'm just thinking about that now, like, the way it's evolved from when me and you were players to the way these young kids are getting getting the help they need now uh, on that side of the game, you know, as long as we keep evolving, as long as we keep progressing it and keep understanding it, it can only help people. Definitely. Yeah, I think we, uh, one of our, our last guests, when we, Claire, as well, and, and we spoke about where that we should celebrate how, how far things have come and, you know, th there has been a massive improvement in terms of people identifying things and what you're talking about there even some of them coaching courses um there being psychology elements in there yeah. to help the yeah. coaches that's that's brilliant compared to where things were uh, and obviously there's still a long way to go because there's still a lot of prejudice and discrimination uh, around but obviously you see some of the campaigns now i know peter crouch is a big advocate and he's got his own podcast uh, and he's done um stuff with the bbc um uh, and there's players now as well are speaking openly about it and campaigning for it. So things yeah. have come, things have come a long way, and I think it's brilliant to see on the TV. Um, it's reinforcing that you know people, you're going through rough, rough phases. It doesn't matter what walk of life you come from, uh, you can be a professional footballer and still be impacted by mental health. It doesn't discriminate in any way whatsoever. So I think it's brilliant that things are coming so far, uh, and you know hopefully things can continue to improve in the future. Yeah, I think I think just listening to sort of me and Nooney now, you know, I don't think we were we were um, any different to everyone else. You know, probably everyone was everyone was feeling similar things to what we were feeling. Um, some might have 
just dealt with it a little bit and gone on and fulfilled a bit bit more of their potential. Uh, some might have dealt with it worse, you know, um, but we did, we just didn't we didn't know it was it was sort of old school. It was get on with it. It was uh, sort of deal with it, which is which is uh, obviously the thing that's changed the most. Where there, there's now outlets for these young players, there's now outlets for people in the communities. There's now opportunities to to speak, um, and and sometimes that's all it takes. I think that um, you know, for me, what didn't help as well, Jim, and I'm just thinking it probably happens to a lot of footballers. Obviously, living so far away from home, Liverpool to Exeter was, was a long, long way. Uh, at such such a young age as well, where you'd have your family around you to support you if yeah. you was feeling this way. Yeah. Even though you were friends, you know, I felt really isolated at that time, and you miss your family and. You know, even though you know they were there, and you can't see them. It's, I think there's a lot of things that sort of impacts a young, a young footballer these days as well. Who does live away from home at such, from such an early age, uh, and I think clubs have got better to give that wraparound support as well now, um, which is so much better than what was there when when we played. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, and we, obviously we we never spoke about it between each other because it, it was it would have been viewed as. Possibly as a bit of weakness, wouldn't it? Yeah. You know, oh, we were all, we were all a team, but we were also fighting to to establish our own careers as well. And you know, I think well, I know because we all still speak to each other now, and and you know, we've got a, a group that we all still chat to each other thirty, you know, twenty five, twenty six, twenty six years, seven years later. Um, but we we wouldn't have spoke about it with each other, would we? No, definitely not. Obviously, uh, as we've already mentioned, that that you were um, that you about your dad, uh, Alan Ball, um, yeah. and he was obviously he's he's um, thought very highly of by Everton fans in in this city, uh, and he was absolutely a you know a, a huge name for England. Also, um, is there anything that you you ever remember him saying about Liverpool and about Everton? Yeah, listen, he he loved the place, um, loved the city, loved the people. Um, yeah, it, it was without a doubt the, the, the best time of his career, played his best football. Um, you know, he was in his, he was in his, in his, in his element. Um, and I think, I think the people, you know, the character of the city, the people in the city, I think helped him with that. Just an ordinary lad from, from Farmouth, just outside Bolton, you know, so he, you know, coming to a city as, as sort of true and as, as honest and, as down to earth as Liverpool, with with, with good people, great humour. Um, you know, he he absolutely loved it, uh, and Everton was his team forever. Well, I know Phil's. Uh, you've spoke very highly of him as a as a man and of a as a coach as well, um, and and how much he, he he loved the city and how much he loved Liverpool. Well, when Phil came, it helped Phil when he came on trial and wore his Everton top. That sort of, you know, <laughs> you know I mean, he come he come walking into the training ground with an Everton top on, Everton scarf on. He had white flipping boots on. I mean, uh, yeah, all my dad. That was all my dad. Uh, no, uh, um, he was he was a, he had such. I mean, I don't think I've ever even spoke to Jimmy about this, Andrew, if I'm honest with you. Um, but he, the, the man had such a, a positive impact on, on my life and shaped uh, me as a gentleman, I think. Um, about, you know, he had a real desire to win, Jim. Uh, and I think that st- stuck with me all the way through my life. I play FIFA with my kids and I can't lose. 
And I think that that's come from, and I'm being really honest with you, because I don't think I had that competitiveness. I had it a bit, but not as much as when um, I come back from Exeter and it stayed with me to be as successful as I can about myself. And if I'm going to do something, I do it at 110%. And he instill that in every one of us within that group. Um, but almost the, the, the football, I remember playing in one game with him on a national turf. I think he was about, I don't know what age he was, Jim. It'd have been, it'd have been, um, it'd have been late forties, early fifties, I think. Yeah, and he absolutely bossed it against current fit twenty people, twenty odd year old people that were in their prime of the first team players, yeah. and he absolutely bossed the game. Yeah. And it was his football intelligence, and he, um, we used to do. And what I loved about him from the youth team played the same system as the first team. So if you could move from within the squads, from from the youth team to reserves, from reserves to first team and the level of organisation. Uh, and what always stuck with me, with it was a little strategy we used called Nick Jackson Sids, Jim. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what you probably don't know is I've run with some really successful Liverpool teams, uh, with, with like youth teams, like, you, like just like young guys playing on a Saturday and Sunday, taking yeah. them from youth clubs, taking them from whatever... And I've trained them in the same way that we used to, that your dad used to instill. And we've literally won everything within the Liverpool areas when I was, when I was a coach. Yeah. Uh, and that wasn't anything to do with me. That was just a legacy of your dad. And I don't even think that I've ever, um, it helped having good players as well. I'm not going to lie. But them and had the intelligence to play that system. Yeah. Um, we know, which was at the time, in my mind, no one else knew, but it was dedicated to your dad. That when yeah. I become a coach, I, I instilled that within the teams, even the, the signals we use off corners were the same, all sorts of stuff. So his legacy sort of lived on within thing, in areas that you probably didn't even realise. Right. Yeah, the thing the thing around competing is, uh, you know, he's, he's, we sort of spoke about it late in life because I, I I consider myself to be a competitor as well, you know, and there's nothing wrong with it as long mm-hmm. as uh, as long as you understand what it was. Competing for him was just an opportunity to be as good as you can be, mm-hmm. uh, and what I mean by that is he. He, he loved the co- he loved competition, whether he won or, or lost. Actually, and it might sound strange, was was actually irrelevant. It was the opportunity to to test yourself. It was the opportunity to go up against someone because he he always spoke. I only ever wanted to play in the big games because that was where I would be. That was where I had the opportunity to be to then maybe get better or be be as good as I could humanly be. And so competition to him was just that opportunity. So he was never afraid of it. Um, you know, he never had the fear of losing because the competition was what he wanted to be involved in. And, 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 and sort of, I've only just put that straight in my head now, um, some years later. And he was absolutely fierce competitor, hated, uh, you, you know, hated losing, but wasn't scared of it. As long as you know, he just wanted the opportunity to to compete and to be the best he could be, um, and and that that's only been been sort of straight for me now. Um, now that I'm a bit bit older, I've had a chance to like you say reflect on things that he said to me. Mm. But yeah, he was a he was a he was a fierce competitor. Absolutely everything. I never, I think I beat him at golf for the first time really late on. And and obviously the games, 
the, the games of golf we play, he'd scrap out points and he'd argue over shots and he couldn't, he could not lose to me. It was, um, it was unbelievable. The only thing he lost that regularly was flipping horse racing. Yeah. So he was the worst flipping tipster in the world. But he, um, no, no, that, that's the way he viewed it. And a lot of people think he was just in shoot, consumed by winning, winning. It wasn't, it was competing. It was yeah. the opportunity to, to, to go up against someone and to be your best and to, that was what he loved. So obviously, Jimmy, you know, we were very, very close to your dad and obviously in passing must have been quite difficult for you. How did you, how did you find yourself at that time or how did you manage at, at that time? Um, I think, listen, I think I was very lucky in the fact that we were, we were, we'd, we'd, gone past sort of father and son relationship and we'd we'd become genuinely just like best friends mm. um we'd, we'd do stuff together we'd go golfing and racing and watch football games and go to the pub on a sunday afternoon together um you know we were pals um and the, the other thing where i was very very lucky and and some people don't get the chance to do this and and uh, is is he, he knew you know he knew how I felt about him he knew we both knew so there was nothing unsaid um there was nothing unsaid and nothing left um which is something that maybe I'd, I'd advise people to do you know mm -hmm. speak to the people you love all the time and, and tell them all the time because you never know my dad was as fit as a fiddle um he'd walk the dog his dog walk every morning was about five, six miles. You know, he'd, he'd, he'd do it with, without a problem. He'd be out, he'd, he'd play golf, you know, two or three days a week. Uh, he'd, he was he was in great nick and in great form. You know, I, I spoke to him on the phone. I, you know, I was the last person to speak to him. And we'd watched a, a football match. Um, it was a Champions League game, United against someone and... Paul Scholes had flipped a ball like a little nicks off the outside of his foot over the top of the back four for someone to run on and score. And it was a, you know, it was a little one touch sort of no look thing, which I rang him straight away as soon as the goal went in. And we, we sort of buzzed over it and had a chat about it and said goodnight and love you, mate. And that was it. And so, um, yeah, obviously it was horrific and my best pal had gone, but we both knew we, we, there was nothing unsaid. And so I could, I could handle it um, other than the sorrow. I could, I could handle it. There was no remorse and there was no regrets. And I think that that's something that's, that's really, really helped me. Uh, and then, you know, when you think of your dad as your dad, um, and, and I've always managed to do that. You know, people ask me, what was it like? And I, and I always say, it was, it was just my dad. I can't tell you what it was like because I've never had another dad. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't have bothered me whether he was, you know, a bricky, a bin man, a, a, a postie, a, you know, a flipping multi-millionaire. It wouldn't have mattered. He was my dad and he was my mate and we made each other laugh and we, we you know, we, we got on really, really well. So it, it, it really wouldn't have mattered. Um, and then for, for the, for, for what, you know what happened afterwards was was absolutely insane and you know we, we were trying to just arrange a funeral at a local crematorium and we got a call from the the chief of police saying we've had thirty thousand people phone up the police station asking for 
for information about the funeral because we want to come. And I went, you're kidding, we're just going to go to the creme, like, you know, that's, and, you know, like my mum, and he, and, they, and he went, you can't, there's no possible way you can do that. And so I said to him, well, what do, you, what do you reckon? And he said, you've got two choices, you go to Romsey Abbey or, or Winchester Cathedral. And we were like, you're kidding. And it, honestly, it was, it was unbelievable. And then, you know, the newspapers, the televisions, the, 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 the whole thing was, was absolutely insane. Um, and then Everton rang up and this all happened within like two days. I think three days after he died, it was the Everton Man United game. Um, and Everton rang up and said, you know, that the, 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 the Evertonians want you here. And I said to the girls, I said, we've got to go. Cause that was, that was one of his things. Um, we used to joke and he used to say that I want the ashes, you know, spread on the pitch in front of the Gladys street. And we'd all, you know, it was one of his things. So we, it was just a whirlwind. It was just a whirlwind, to be honest. Um, uh, so, we, yeah, we, we, we zoomed up to Goodison and we put a little number eight wreath behind the goal. And, you know, that, that was, you know, as sad as we all were and as, as heartbroken as we all were, that was amazing. Mm. And it's something that lives with me and my sisters to this day, walking out at Goodison. And the, 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 it was unbelievable. I can't put it into words how it felt. Um, I remember punching the air as I was walking off the pitch and thinking, what a stupid thing to do. Your dad's just passed away, but it was elation. It was, it was just warmth. It was, it was wonderful. Um, and then obviously the funeral, which was just mind blowing driving into Winchester and the, the streets were, you know, they were four and five deep. And then you drove to, to, to the cathedral square and you, you just, it was unbelievable. It, it was just mind blowing. It, it, you couldn't quite, you couldn't quite uh, put it into words, and but it was just an outpouring of love and respect, and and then you go, wow, what what a flipping man he was, and and God, I knew as as well as anyone what a great man he was, but then you see these people turning up and grown men crying, and you're like, wow, that's something special, and he must have brought a lot of pleasure, a lot of um, pride, and he must have touched a lot of people for that and then and then and then you think well what what an incredible legacy and then obviously obviously you think well i've got to carry that on and is that pressure or is that is that an honor and and, and luckily I, I i consider it an honor just to carry on his name so yeah um i've never really had a lot of grief over it because of of how close we were uh, and, and that is a, it's something I could say to everyone, you know, speak to the people you love, tell them you love them every day because crazy things happen and, um, and you, want it, you, you don't want anything unsaid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that, that shows the, the tribute you're talking about there towards your, your dad passing and on his funeral. I think that shows much more than the ability he had with his feet. It showed the, the impact he had on people, that, you know, the, as you said, the pleasure and the pride that he, he brought yeah. to, to people that, that would have been out and sort of, um, you know, cel celebrating his death in a way or, uh, or showing their, their, their tribute towards him. I'm sure Evertonians as well at that day as well had the opportunity to be able to, to thank him for, you know, past memories and the pride and the uh, passion that he brought to the club. Uh, and it's lovely to hear what you've just been saying there about uh, it doesn't matter whether he was a footballer, multi-millionaire or, you know, a, a regular person, he was still your dad. Mm. Shows, um, how close that you that he's were together. So how 
so we, obviously we, we're working with a lot, a lot of people. I have I've worked with uh, some people in the past who who've lost people, um, and it can be um, the cats really, and then sort of having a massive impact on their life and and their mental health really. Uh, yeah. But it's interesting to see what you've just been saying there. Is while you can, uh, we don't know what's coming around the corner. Speak to the people that you love and tell them what's on your mind and tell them you know that, that you love them tell them you know iron out any issues i think that's a really good um way for people to to try and get things right before you know there's a lot of feeling of guilt yeah definitely you know obviously i lost my mother three years before my dad um but that was very very different that was a, a basically she she died for three years to be honest with you um with the cancer so that was a completely different, completely different experience where, you know, it, you were able to speak about lots of things over a, over a, a period of time. You saw someone who, you know, you love deeply, be, be very scared, be in a lot of pain and, you know, you felt useless. You felt, um, you know, out of control. You couldn't do anything about it you couldn't take it i couldn't take it off her which i'd have done gladly um you just had to had to support someone going through something that's 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 outrageously horrific and 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 still is to this day so yeah but again you you leave nothing unsaid you you know no thoughts no feelings unsaid and again you can be at peace with the fact that you know you you both knew you know that, mm-hmm. that, that you loved each other and you cared for each other no matter no matter what and so yeah that, that that's what i would say um and, and but sometimes that can be hard you know people people fall out and things that things happen in, in in families in relationships it can be hard to move on but but life is very short and it goes very very quick so you know it, sometimes it, it there's bigger things to think about. There's bigger things to worry about. And, and, you know, sometimes you might have to swallow a few things and, and just, and just let things be and make peace with things because you can't change them uh, and you can't do anything about it. Uh, and that's what happened in the end with, with me, mum and the cancer, you know, we made peace with it. It was something that we couldn't change. Uh, we tried, she fought, uh, we couldn't change it. So we, we sort of, we, we understood it. We made peace with it and, and made sure that things were, things were, 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 were sweet. But when, when, when that final, you know, horrible moment came when she, mm-hmm. when, when she had to, to go. So yeah, that, that is something I'd say it's, listen, it's very difficult. People, people cope with things in different ways. People think of things in different ways, but you know, the way, the way I would say the thing that gives me the most peace and the most sort of harmony is the fact that I said everything I needed to say to them and they knew how I felt about them both. And, um, uh, you know, at the end. I'm sure that a lot of people listening um, will, will be able to take something from that. I know I have myself that, you know, that, that's, that's given me the, the motivation to, to want um, to speak to my parents, to speak to me, you know, people around me, my family members and friends and, and be more um, open with them. So I'm sure a lot of people uh, listening will, will have um, resonated with that, what you've just said as well. Thank you. Um, so just, just to finish up, Jim, I just um, thought it'd be good to ask if, we've been trying to ask people if 
they uh, if there's anything during COVID that they've been able to do to manage the the mental health in a more positive way, or people have been actually surprised by something they've been able to to do during COVID. Um, yeah, listen, it's been it's been crazy, really, hasn't it? You know, um, you know, no one's no one really saw this coming. No one prepared for it, so we were all winging it, weren't we? Um, but sometimes when when you're winging it. Um, you know, you discover things, uh, and and I, I have in, in a few ways, to be honest with you. I've um, um, I, I found an absolute love for gardening. <laughs> oh, <laughs> me friend, too. Honestly, my lawn's like Wembley. It's great. I've got lines on it and everything. It's class. <laughs> and all fills. And then I've been um, sort of messing around with growing vegetables. I've been messing around with growing vegetables for the last couple of years, but I was awful at it. I couldn't get me tomatoes to go to go red. They always just stay green and all sorts of stuff. So when this happened, I thought, right, I'll do it properly, and I'll you know I'll I'll read up on it and I'll learn about it and thing. And and I have to say, I've flipping, I've got veggies till October. Me, I've got so <laughs> many veggies, it's ridiculous, and it's been been brilliant, and I've loved it. But then there's other things. To me, it's about I've I've tried doing things differently something I've never done before, trying just, just different things. Um, so the veggies is one, um, you know, but just different things and, and maybe reading different books that you wouldn't read and so that, so that you know, because this isn't normal and that's okay that it's not normal. So, so different, you know, I've, I've, I've read books on different things than I normally would. Normally it's just all about football and, and possibly leadership. But, and, I, and I've, I've just done some different things to keep, to keep my mind active rather than keep going over the same things and the same same thoughts all the time so that's something that that, that I've done um uh, the good thing was I was I, I had two um two assignments left on on a, on a diploma I was completing just as it ended so I could really chuck myself into that and and those last two assignments and then uh, and then a, an interview that I had to do online as well for the for this diploma um um i could chuck myself into that as well which was great it gave me you know ch chance to to really work on that um and spend a lot of time on it but um other than that just be being with my kids being with my wife um you know we're both still alive thankfully um and we haven't killed each other yet <laughs> um because obviously i've been in football all my life so i'm here there and everywhere and and it's not a it's not a set pattern football you <laughs> You know, football is, is, is what it is. You're out 60, 70 hours a week watching games, coaching, you know, taking games. So to be here for a sustained period is, is, um, has actually been really, really nice, um, really, really good. And we've, you know, talked a lot, done a lot of things together. Uh, and, that, and that's been good too. But I, I won't lie, I, I, I need to get back on a football pitch quickly because uh, I, miss, I miss the game. I miss being around young, young people who, who, you know, ambitious people who want to improve. I, uh, I miss developing players and people and, and I want to get back to that quite soon, which hopefully we will. Um, so, yeah, that's about me. I've got veggies forever and I've, and I've done <laughs> a few, I've, I've taken on a few things that I, I wouldn't normally do to just to switch it up a little bit. I know uh, that's good to wear. I know Phil's been a, a keen gardener at the moment as well. <laughs> yeah, you that's why he's got a bad back. That's <laughs> yeah, why he's got yeah. a bad back. If that and picking the ball out of the net. Yeah. <laughs> Twenty years. 
if I'm honest with you, I'm getting a shed delivered next Wednesday, and I can't believe how excited I am, <laughs> honestly. And I realise how old I am now. Um, where, but I have gym as well. I've really took to, like a project in my garden, and I've and I've really enjoyed it, and it's kept me busy and it's kept me occupied as like a project. But uh, it's funny what you're saying about relationships um, and your family around you, because I believe as if this time I've become really uh, so much closer to my wife, so much closer to the children, um, because I'm so busy in my normal day-to-day life. Mm. That they're like we're like passing ships in the night, and, and we're sort of just bypassing each other. And, and I, are you okay? Quick cup of blah blah blah, and then we're all busy. I'm so busy in life that it's given me time to just sit and reflect, uh, and it's stuff that we don't really do. Um, and when we reflect, we actually learn so much things about ourselves. Um, mm. Even going back to when I was a young, with just what we were talking about before. Uh, and I think it's something that I'll put into practice maybe once a month to just spend an hour just just reflecting just on things and we usually get caught up that busy and in, in, in that we have a hamster wheel just going round and round that we stop to forget what the really important things in our life and I think um, this is sort of yeah we can look at COVID as such a negative which it is so much devastation that's gone on um, but for me there's been positives out of it as well and that's what we're trying to get across in the podcast and hopefully um, people can focus on the positives rather than you know, just looking at, at all the negative side of things as well, because uh, there's, there's got to be a balance to it. Yeah, sort of like you don't know what you've got till it's gone as well, like missing people, the, the, the ease in which you could see people uh, and you just took it for granted. So you probably didn't as much as you, you probably should, because, you you know, you could do it at any time. So then they take you take that away and, and, and then you can't see people. Um, you know, it gives you a, it gives you a bit more of an appreciation, and probably when we get back, hopefully, we can be sort of friendlier. We can be more neighbourly. We can be more, you know, thoughtful. Uh, be kinder. Neighbourly. Um, you live in you live in the bloody farm, don't you? I do. I live in the middle of nowhere. So, so I, yeah, I've been I've been self isolating for five years. It's great. I'm in the middle of nowhere. Um, but no, yeah, just just. You take it for granted because because you you can see people all the time. So then you probably don't, if you understand what I mean. Yeah. I'll do that yeah. tomorrow. I'll go see him tomorrow. I'll speak to them tomorrow. Um, and then all of a sudden, you, 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 that's taken away from you, and you think, "Oh, I can't wait to see them." So, I think that's that's opened a few people's eyes as well, which is a, probably like you say that it's easy to be negative. Like I said at the very beginning about me playing football, I was a destroyer because I think destroying on a football pitch is easy. You know, it's easy to be negative. It's, 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 it's the sort of default. It's dead easy. Um, being positive is hard. Um, but there are, there are some positives that have come out of this without a doubt. Yeah, Brill. Thanks for, um, we really appreciate coming on today as well, Jim, and uh, for Phil for joining as well. Um, you know, you, you give some really good insights into things and obviously past experience as a, as a footballer and now as a coach as well uh, and the state of affairs in terms of the improvement in mental health and the stigma. Uh, so we really appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, listen, my pleasure. I think you're doing fantastic work. I think it's really, really important and, and any help you need or any support you need from me, you've always got it. Oh, cheers. Cheers, Jim. If anyone's listening today and is interested in any, find out a little bit more information or even join us for some workshops, you can find more information on www.evolvermindset.co.uk or you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and we're also on YouTube. So if anyone would like any more information, uh, reach out to us 
and uh, see if we can support you in any, any way. Thanks for joining. Cheers, Cheers all. Thanks. Thanks, Andy. See you later, lads. Bye.